All right. Hey, y'all. It is grab your wallet time. Uh, we've been having fun doing this show. We love you guys for supporting us. Those of you that don't support us, patreon.com is where you go give us the money to get us to these people or beers to these people so we can interview them. And John's got some t-shirts. So that's on stealthisbeer.com slash merch. Check that out. Either way, thanks for playing along. Can't believe we get away with this every week, Monday at five. about beer over beer by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. All right. Hey, y'all. It's five o'clock on Monday and we are stealing beer. I'm Augie Carton. John Hall and you know I'm just I'm 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 feeling good. It's it's home stretch of the year and holidays are in full swing and we're just kind of I don't know. I'm looking forward to to a, to a new year and this is the the home stretch towards it. So it's delightful to be here with all of you today. I like your positivity there, Mr. Hall. I'm feeling um, I'm feeling pretty good. Justin Justin did good by us on the last show, so I'm feeling <laughs> Yeah. I'm feeling I'm feeling excited about this next round. And like anybody, anybody knows anybody knows anybody that listened knows that cast took credit for that. But we'll let them sure. sort that out. Um, so nothing to sort. Did I, did I tell you my uh, my my kids a freshman in high school what? this year? And it's uh, oh. yeah, and it's kind of cracking me up. His different teachers, because they all have this kind of wonderful uh, nominative determinism and what they do um mr mean is the dean of discipline he pronounces it mean but obviously mr fit is the swim instructor (laughs) um okay i i could go on and on it's comical to me how many there are there's a guy whose name like cupboard or pantry and he runs the food program it's it's just funnier and funnier to me and it seems to be the thing that keeps going because our guest ron extract is a brewer ron did you decide to be a brewer the minute you found out what extract meant or did that come after the fact? I think it came after the fact, you know, I, I thought about dentistry and um, that, that really wasn't my calling. Um, so, well, you, you were, know. you're now not a verb. Well, it, I mean, it's, it's the family name. So do, do you know how the family name developed Is over right? time? Right? We're, we're, Ron's great, 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 great grandfather invented DNA. Um, well, it's, it's, um, I've actually, heard from other family members and I, I i haven't researched this myself but um apparently i had uh ancestors who were in the spice business so there is some relationship there um though That's i'll awesome. say that we tend to brew without spices for the most part so um <laughs> maybe i'm turning my back on my uh my family name but <laughs> also but not an you... extract brewer so yeah well i but my question is when you started did you like all of us did you start with two buckets of some extract Oh, absolutely. All right. All right. So there, there was a point in, in, in your history where this all came around full circle for me. That's, that's wonderful. But, thank, but now you're, you evolved well beyond that, though. Well, that's where I was going. So now you're as far from extract spice brewing as can be done, right? So everything you brew comes from 20 miles from your brewery? 
Is that right? Uh, about 98% comes from within 20 miles. The one thing that we do have to source from outside that range is some of our hops. Um, Western Washington, where we're located, we're in, in the Skagit Valley, which is uh, about 65 miles north of Seattle um, and about halfway between Seattle and Vancouver, BC. Uh, it's really fertile area and it's actually a natural habitat for hops. So uh, prior to prohibition, there were quite a lot of hops grown in this region, more so than really anywhere else in, in North America, in fact. Um, but after prohibition, land started to get a lot more expensive here and um, it's a great climate for hops, but it's also a great climate for everything that likes to kill hops. And that makes it challenging in some ways because you have to deal with issues of, um, of like mold and downy mildew and um, aphids and slugs and everything else here okay. that's part of the natural ecosystem. So hop, commercial hop growing can be a bit of a challenge here. And with irrigation improving after prohibition, um, there was a lot more land available in Yakima Valley for a lot less money. And that's where commercial hop growing really then started to take off. So um, there wasn't really any, there weren't any hops being grown commercially in this area for a long time until uh, literally a week after we opened. Um, some now good friends of ours planted their first hops and we've purchased everything that they've grown ever since at uh, Hop Skagit. They're growing organically. They're doing some really amazing sustainable work there, but they don't grow quite enough to meet our needs at this point. Hopefully they will someday. So we do have to cast a little bit of a wider radius for our hops and go to Yakima and Willamette and um, possibly Abbotsford, which is actually a little bit closer for us now, um, to source our hops. Now, how far, how far are you, how far are you from Yakima? Because all of Washington and all of Portland are not that far apart. What when you say you have to go to Yakima, how far is that? It's about three hundred miles either way to, to Yakima or to, to Willamette. Right. Um, so, and that's as far as we go for anything. Um, all right. But everything else other than the hops that we have to source from those areas comes from within about twenty miles of, of where we are, including our awesome. yeast. We've uh, we've never purchased yeast from a lab. We use exclusively native yeast in everything we do. And you're culturing that or you're cool shipping it? Both, actually. So we use, um, we spent about our first year while we were looking for a site, we spent building up our, our house culture. And with that, we really focused on trying to build a, a Saccharomyces dominant culture. We wanted to have native yeast fermentation that was still soft and balanced and that still made beer that primarily tastes like beer but with some wild and funky undertones to it. We didn't really want to make uh, Brett bombs or, or acid bombs. Um, so really an emphasis on, on trying to develop a, a very balanced native house culture. And then um, we also do, um, we do spontaneous fermentation using a cool ship. We um, combine techniques in some of our products. We make a beer called the, the Curious Mix Methods. It's a, a series where we kind of use the cool ship, but don't, and use some some uh, airborne inoculation, but also use some of our house culture and combine them in, in different ways. Um, so we, we like to kind of mix and match a little bit. We're not trying to make Lambic. We're obviously not in Belgium. So we're, we're just trying <laughs> to make, sort of make use of, of our resources and speak to Skagit Valley. Um, so it's kind of what we're all about. And then for our wine and cider, we also, um, at this point we're, we, so we, we make beer, wine, cider, mead, we make all sorts of different fermented beverages and, um, all with kind of the same, uh, MO, uh, and for our wine and cider, we're at this point really just 
using the natural yeast on the fruit we have in the past um, supplemented that with some of our, our house culture as well. Ron, are you still doing wort at Chuckanut? We are. Yeah, we actually we did buy a brew house um, earlier this year and we actually never got it online. It posed some challenges. We got a, a pretty good deal on a used brew house. And then we found that the, we, uh, we uh, made some, a lot of upgrades to the, the mash louder ton, um, which is really pretty state of the art at this point for, for our needs, but the kettle turned into a much bigger project. And we ultimately decided to change direction. Um, Chuckanut has actually just consolidated their operations into South Nut location, which is the one that's just a quarter mile from us. And yeah. we, were, we were a little bit concerned that in doing that, we might not have access to their brew house anymore because the, um, they would be making a lot more beer there, but they're actually, they are putting in their uh, brew house from Bellingham as well. So they're, they're actually going to have a lot more uh, work production capacity. And at South Nut, cool. Yeah. And they're, frankly, their, their brew house is much nicer than anything that we can afford to put in. So, um, with that, we decided that the space that we were going to devote to the brew house, um, we would put in a couple more fooders instead. That's awesome. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's nice that that worked out. Yeah. So you said you, you touched on, uh, you said you do wine and meat as well. And you were also talking at the beginning about kind of the, the beauty of the land you're on for growing things. I, uh, I've spent some time out on that West side of Washington and it really is amazing. Like when they decided to go grapes, how well they can grow grapes. And, you know, what's funny is asparagus is the thing I remember them being super proud of. But, um, but when you, what, when are you, cho are you choosing for a certain product mix between the three types or is it, is it a certain, I want to make this right now. So I'll go make it. Is it, you know, do you have tanks specific for all three projects or, or how's the balance of the three things go? We make more beer than anything else. Most of us come from a beer background and that is kind of our first passion. But this year we did make a whole lot of cider as well. Um, we're, we are fortunate that we have access to kind of an abundance of traditional cider apples. Um, we are very close to research campus at Washington State University, which is in Mount Vernon, just a few miles from us. Um, and they grow what was at one time the most comprehensive range of cider apples in North America uh, at that facility, but they had um, sadly run out of funding to maintain it. So when we were getting started, we uh, spoke with them and proposed that we would take over a lot of the maintenance of the orchard in exchange for first right of refusal of, on the fruit. And we were very pleased <laughs> that they, uh, they took us up on this. So we great now... I am so glad they took you up on that. Do you know how many times I hear an offer like that made and the other people are like, nope, we're just going to let it go. Yeah. I'm glad they took you up so, on that. Um, so yeah, like we were, were very fortunate that given us great access to, to fruit. So we released our first ciders this year. Um, we started making cider back in 2018. And at that point, we were also using some field apples um, um, because they're, they were using more of the fruit for research. And there was also a little bit of a misunderstanding actually with uh, a common employee who worked for, for both of us and inadvertently picked what was supposed to be a bunch of our fruit for their research. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but we 
since then, we've really had an abundance of, of apples to work with. Um, in fact, we haven't really been able to use everything that's been available to us yet, just because we haven't had the capacity this year. We had to turn down some of their fruit um, just because we, we really didn't have a place to put it. So once the, the cider from this season is ready, we'll really have quite an abundance. And, now, um, talk, to me, talk to me about, about the cider making. So are you pressing the apples in-house? Yes. And yes. now are you... is is, do you pitch your house culture into it? Do you let the skins happen? How do you, what do you do with um, cider? At this point, we're doing mostly, uh, I'd say exclusively at this point, we're doing just natural fermentation on the skins. Um, so it's, that's great. We're, we're so talk it. me through it. Is it a pneumatic press or a basket press? Like, like this is, this is what's fascinating to the show is, is, is so we actually, we have a, a grinder so we feed the apples into what looks like a, a giant food processor they get chopped up and then they, then it goes into a basket press um, okay to, to squeeze the the juice out um, and how long does it stay in contact with the pumice for lack of a better understanding of the terms because i'm not a cider maker it really depends on what we're making and i'll be honest i'm not the one who's doing most of that physical okay. work at this point um so those would probably be better questions for our our production team um yeah, we'll get in to some it cases, it's going to be relatively short skin contact but um most cases it'll be relatively short skin contact um but you know we we've made do some experiments where we we keep it on there longer we also we like using different types of fruit together we made a, a cider that we called fruit punch cider which was a cider apple base that was then re-fermented with um locally grown uh strawberries cherries uh, blackberries Blackberries, wow. and uh, um, I'm probably leaving something out there too. And what's amazing about it is that it, it smells like fruit punch, but then it's it's bone dry. So that's it, great. Uh, it, we're really trying to showcase fruit, different types of fruit in ways that are really kind of elegant and and complex, but also really you know approachable. Um, it's awesome. And, I don't want to I don't want to ignore what you just said about other people being the ciders, but. But this is really so interesting. I'm going to ask one more question, then we'll get right back to beer, I promise. Sure. But so this, this situation with the apple farms, how many different types of apple are they offering you? And have you found a couple favorites as like standalone, this apple makes a great cider or this plus this makes a great cider? You know what I mean? Like, have you come up to the point where, say, with wine or malts for brewing, where you have a few favorites already? Or is it all kind of the fermentation matters so much to what happens that you can't just base it on the fruit raw we we do have a few favorites and we've played around with some single varietals but the thing with the wsu orchard is that they've got a lot of different trees a lot of um, different individual varietals but they in a lot of cases it's one tree so there's only enough for us to make uh if we're going to make a single varietal versus a blend in a lot of cases there's only enough to make um, some for our tasting room. So we make a few, like a single barrel of it or something like that. Oh. All we have enough for. Um, you know, <laughs> a lot of really traditional varietal things like Kingston Black, the favorite of ours, you know, when we can get um, enough of that, then we, that's one that we really like to use as a base or, or as a single varietal. But we, we do typically do a lot of blending of quite a lot of different apple varietals from the orchard. Um, yeah. I did want to say, um, well, in addition to apples there, we also have access to, uh, to cherries, plums, um, pears. So we've been working on perry. We've been working on other types of fruit. Wow. Using some of that fruit as well, which we're super excited about. Um, we're big fans of Frederick-style cherry wine. 
and that's been really inspirational for us. Um, so we, we love working with that group. Great. You met, we talked about grapes a little bit before and you asked about the balance of products, mm -hmm. wine, cider, beer. Um, wine has been kind of the most limiting thing because it is a challenge here in Western Washington with grapes that we get sometimes very early fall rains and that can just ruin the harvest. Um, we actually have a small private vineyard that we take care of as well, kind of a similar deal to what we have with WSU where um, there's uh, a guy uh, up on the western slopes of the Cascades who planted a vineyard um, quite some time ago, I think with aspirations of maybe one day opening a, a winery, but never did that. So he uh, approached <laughs> us to see if we would be interested in in kind of um, rehabilitating his vineyard in exchange for the fruit. And um, we took him up on that. It's been a lot of work and we, we were really looking forward to making some wine with that fruit this year, but then we ended up losing the entire harvest because of uh, early rain. Because so, everything got fat. Yep. Yeah. So we, we were able to get uh, source some grapes from another local vineyard. Um, so we are making some wine this year, but that's been the biggest limitation is just, we, we really want to stick with Western Washington fruit because it's to make a lot of sense for us to make, you, you know, given our, the nature of our project, yep. source fruit from the other side of the mountain and call it Western Washington wine. So we want to, we want to work with local grapes and um, stick with, with that. And that's, it's, just limited the amount that we can make. Yeah, well, that is the beauty of farming. Um, all right, so, let's so start our about beer one. Have and to come to come to our tasting room or go to our, our online shop. At this point, we don't really distribute it. Wow. All right, so <clears throat> excuse me. Let's talk about beer one. Um, do you have beer one? I do not. I have beers three and four. That, you, you're yeah. right. I'm sorry. Beer three is your beer one, Justin. <laughs> Justin, you can actually send the guest so, yeah uh, oh justin i get confused so, so this is my way of not getting confused all right that's fine just to that's be clear no nope, that's fine he we're gonna be nice to four justin. beers he sends us four beers because we do two shows in a day so your show two so that's okay. why your beers are three and four but Got yes and beer one is going that but i uh, uh, i still like so, that you did it because justin you would think justin could figure out that you could have a one and a two what's anyway <laughs> all right so let's let's get into it so what brings us together on seal of spears a candid conversation of beer what it is not what we thought it was what it's doing not what we were told it would do how it tastes not what we did to get it uh to facilitate that we drink blind out of black glasses um in these covid times justin mails the beer around the nation all of us have them obfuscated <laughs> in aluminium and blue packing tape and that's about that. So why doesn't everybody start drinking beer one if you're not already? And John and I will start talking about it. You know what, John? What, Augie? Here's the thing. Uh-huh. Here's the thing. Uh-huh. I can't figure out what the grain is that's making it so ashy. But this is not an all Pilsner Pilsner. Yeah, this is a Vienna of some kind. Oh, I don't think it's dark. It just has that ashy, like, like straight up Pilsner yeast had its way with something with a little more protein in it. And I don't know why you would do that. If you used I, rice corn or sugar, I'd be like, oh, because you wanted to dry it out. But no, there's this, has, this. I don't know. This has this like rustic, like leafy quality to it. Like, well, then you're on my like second note, which is okay. you're not supposed to use all 
the noble hops in one beer. And I feel okay. like that's what's going on here. There's there's something in here that tastes like gin. And I think what's you going are all on all over the place. Okay. Do you not get that little no like that juniper? No. I got like juniper and orange in this. And then that weird kind of earthy malt profile. There, but, there um, might be a, a touch of citrus, but this is more hay, grassy, uh, earthy. I don't know, like a little uh, mottled vegetal kind of thing, like in a good way, like dried, like dry, like dried leaves is is the the thing that I, I can see back to leaves. over and over again. Um, you know, in that in that, like it's 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 nice, like it's you know. I actually really I like the graininess. I feel like it gives it some body, and it's without a lot of the without the residual sweetness that you get. In, in yeah, it's, it, that's a good point because it is bodied up but super dry. Yeah. And it's not aggressively hoppy. Um, there's a little bit of bitterness, but not, it's, it's not overwhelming. Wait. And the sweetness isn't there. As, yeah. That's what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And I agree on the hops as well. I feel like they're nicely balanced in there. It's not overdone. Oh. Um, I could see some of the, the citrus notes. Maybe there's some mandarina in there or something along those lines, but I don't know. Oh. I feel, I feel like these, I feel like these hops aren't agreeing with each other is what I'm saying. I've got a uh, got a, like I said I've got a rosemary juniper aspect here that's Ron are you getting me any like, of that not, you don't not have to day, I can be wrong you don't have to yeah but I feel that, like I mean, I it's feel not like, there but I'm, I'm not picking up um, on yeah that's that's on that exactly far from where I am um, all right I feel Ron's, like Ron's mandarina though I could I could I could maybe get behind I, th- I now think that, it's now that i think it's it, but that's... i think it's Herzbrucker and tet and maybe some sots and maybe some holler tower you think there's you think there's i mean you can have think, a lot of I hops think and it, it every doesn't necessarily hop, have to I think, be aggressively yeah. i think every hop that goes into a european pilsner went into this beer it may even be european because they taste fresh but I mean, we are in a I united kick but I don't have any of the, like, I don't have the spiciness of Sots. I don't okay. have the fruitiness of middle few, but I have all of them interacting with each other and not letting any one of them shine, I guess is what I'm saying. All right. I, I want to hear more from. Yeah, go on. Ron, he's talking about you. Yeah. From Ron. Oh. Sorry. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't feel a clash there i feel like it's got for me it it they the hops in here harmonize pretty well i can't really pick out individually what it is if i had to guess i would probably say that um probably i would guess mix of hollertown and tetanon but i I could be totally off on that Um, maybe there's some mandarina in there um i definitely get earthiness i don't get as much grassiness as um john as i was saying yeah yeah um but mostly just it's more like dried hay than anything else than grass i i I guess i should sort of qualify like country grass kind of thing like sweet yeah yeah i would agree i don't get like green grass at all no no no. i'm sorry and that's and that's what i meant like i wasn't talking about you know the lawn in summer kind of thing it's more yeah yeah dried grass yeah um and um and yeah and for me that that actually that works really well with the graininess. I feel like it, it kind of, it all harmonizes to make it very approachable. So this is 
no, this is yeah. a beer that I, I would definitely finish and think think I would enjoy all the way through and probably want a second. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I really like the finish on it, right? Because it does get that appropriate Pilsner bitterness right as it finishes. And the graininess is weird to me, but like I said, it's got it's got a bit of a mouthfeel to it that these beers don't usually have. I just, I guess, I don't know. Maybe it just can't pick out one single hop and that's what's gotten me confused, but whatever. I, I like it. I would did, definitely drink a ton of it. Yeah. This beer has actually inspired me. It's, it's, it's a cold day out <laughs> here on the East coast, but this, this, this one has inspired me uh, to maybe go fire up the, the, the fire pit in the backyard. I, this is the one that, uh, you know, you drink while you're arranging the wood and getting everything ready. And for those first couple of minutes, this is this is one of those good, you know, good beers to be having this time of year. Kind so, of so so it's a if that's the lawn mowing of fall, it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's uh, it's, <laughs> it's a leaf fire, raking beer. Fire, yeah, exactly. fire pit, fire pit prep. Yeah, it's a perfect leaf raker. TM. <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh man, you better right. you, you actually better call your people and and TM that right before <laughs> oh, this airs. I can't weeks win. From now. Yeah. I can't win. I just I just released a beer on Wednesday, the same exact time another New Jersey brewer guy released a beer with the same name. Like we, it's not even like was it boat? No, stop it. I released boat a long time ago. We don't anyway, even I just, have that problem so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Do you, I, I anyway, yeah, we should you earlier. Do you want me to say who that brewery is? Isn't it? Well, well I'll talk about it, but I don't want to distract from Ron. I want to hear about yeah. Ron and his beers. But what I'm yeah. saying is, at least when the naming conventions happen and that happens, there's usually a time lapse. But yeah, these guys put a beer out on Wednesday at noon and we put a beer out on Wednesday at noon and both beers have the same name. Yes. Well, and <laughs> theirs is plural yours is singular it's yam jam for you and brick city brewing also in new jersey put out what i'm guessing is coconut vanilla and marshmallow judging by this screenshot uh that's called yam jams plural mm. so yeah so all right thieves I drink could, both report back both. all right steal so this beer we, podcast what are we drinking right now what are we drinking right what now, Justin Kennedy? Justin. Oh, this is from Duchess. Ale. This is Yam Jams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, did I fuck that up. <laughs> Walser Alpine Lager. And oh. uh, according to the brewery, it owes its inspiration to the crisp mountain lagers of the Swiss Eppenzell. Uh, rich, gold, rich golden in color with a delicate balance profile. German Pilsner malt, two varieties of Munich malt, and spelt. Nice. Uh, spelt. 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 Hopped so that could spelt. be that could explain that earthiness and graininess. Yeah, yeah. That's spelt, baby. But I'll nice. right. All right. Hopped with choice. Hersbrucker's Tittenanger in the choice tradition. Uh, wait, what? Are, what? Are, wait, what are the what are the nine hops? Hers, Hersbrucker, <laughs> Tittenanger, and the Hollertau tradition. All right. So but, no thoughts. But listen to this: meadow herbs and subtle spicy floral floral elements. Very faint notes of juniper and candied citrus. Ha! Oh, stop. <laughs> you fuck right off. You stop. fuck right off, John Hall. I said rosemary and juniper. I was I was reading this while uh, Augie was saying that. And I was like, oh, come on, Jesus. You've caught the guys at the brewery because they're like, well, we're just going to make up some tasting notes. Nobody's ever going to find those. And then... Augie Carton so shows Justin, fucking up Justin to the party. Said, 
send them whatever check we send when they make me write John wrong because this is my new favorite brewery. <laughs> We've had if you want to help write these breweries a check, we're asking you to go to stealthisbeer.com slash Patreon and all right, stop. All right, so anyway. let's get back to Ron and his beers. Yes, we brought him on a beer show to talk about beer, and then I got my stupid no, but, Michael Pollan cider passion going. But he, but here's my question though for Ron because it, it isn't just beers, and it is the wine, and it is the cider, and it is the mead. And now that you've been doing all four of those for for a little bit of time now, do you find that all of the beverages are starting to inform? the other beverages like is your mead Ooh. program informing your beer program and wine playing into like because it, it, it strikes me if you're doing four under one roof that that's got to be inevitable but you know i also don't have a roof with four different beverages and he can barely and- barely detect juniper notes in an alpine lager so i mean <laughs> from new york state yeah <laughs> Yeah, while well, I was there too. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ron, Ron, and I are in the same lifeboat together. You know, which, which, all things considered, not a bad thing for me. I'm kind of flying over him. here with my giant Bengal tiger. That's. <laughs> I, they, they definitely the different things that we make, and I'm I'm actually not sure if we mentioned the name of our company, um, Garden Path Fermentation, which um, we call ourselves Garden Path Fermentation because we're not just a brewery, we're not just a winery, we we do, we like to ferment things and we like to ferment things that, that uh, are from our area. And the garden path part um, has a few different references, but one of, one of them is that we, our process sometimes takes us in, in directions that we don't expect to go, but that can be really beautiful and worth exploring. And we hope to do the same for people who try our products to take them places that may not be what they expect, but that uh, we feel are, are beautiful and worth exploring. So um, that's, that's kind of the, the nature of what we're doing. Our production has become increasingly seasonal. So I'd say that the different aspects of what we do, making beer, wine, cider, mead, they inform and affect one another in that it's, it's really started to um, take on this set calendar. For our first couple of years, we were making a lot of beer because we have uh, everything that we make spends time in oak and we have an extensive barrel program. So for our first two years almost we were brewing at least once a week if not twice a week for for some periods just to to fill barrels in the cellar to make sure that we had a lot of stock that was aging for for future blends um once we started to get close to capacity in the cellar then things really changed we slowed down quite a bit and now we we work with what's fresh and what's available so when the apples are ready our focus is on pressing cider and getting our cider going and, and getting cider into barrels when grapes are ready we're 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 going to press the grapes and, and make wine um, during the summer when we have access to lots of fresh berries and then uh, later on stone fruit we we do a lot of blending and re-fermentation uh, with those fruits so our beer program ends up really being concentrated kind of in late fall once fruit harvest is done through uh, spring before the, the fresh fruit is ready. And then through the winter um, that we don't do as much with our house culture and really focus mostly on our spontaneous program. So we've kind of developed this production calendar where you know through, throughout the year, we're in, starting in winter with spontaneous fermentation or starting, I guess, in late fall with 
house culture, then going into spontaneous and then um, going back to working with our house culture in the spring and then summer focusing on blending fruit refermentation. And then as we get back into fall, um, wine and, and cider. So uh, everything affects it, everything affects everything else in that way. Our mead program, we, we really like mead a lot, but we're still kind of trying to find um, the best way to, to work with, with honey because um, we, we don't like a lot of uh, commercial mead that's out there. A lot of mead to my taste and I think to, to the taste of um, uh, my partner Amber and a lot of our team. Um, it's just, it's either too sweet or kind of too boozy and useful. And I just, we, we tend to like things that are, that are approachable that you can drink a pint of and then crave another. And our focus in, in the mead program has been making a, what we call dry table mead, which is kind of, I guess, what would traditionally be called a hydromel, um, where it's lower alcohol, um, lower concentration of honey fermented completely dry. And um, the problem with that is that honey doesn't provide nutrients. So it's really a junk food diet. And we've wanted to, um, we've, we've largely avoided using any kind of commercial yeast nutrients because we've wanted to keep it local and natural in, in terms of our ingredient sourcing. So keeping that fermentation healthy has been a little bit of a challenge for us. And we're exploring ways that maybe we can use grape and apple pumice to supply extra nutrients for the mead and look at- Oh, interesting. Fruit. So those are these are things that we've kind of been playing around with, but we're still that's still largely in the experimental phase. So we haven't done a lot of large scale mead production in a while, um, just because we're really still trying to figure out the how to how to do that using the resources that we want to use. That's uh yeah that is so we have a, a friend of the show Evan Watson of Plan B who does the kind of beverage making you're talking about and that's you know that's his whole thing and he's got this project he did a while ago where he basically did what you're talking about and it worked and i don't know why it worked but it was like you know just equal parts honey and water warmed up put in a barrels and waited on and then bottled and i just love it i we I drank one on the show like three weeks ago so good. um but we i've, had I've, lit I've literally on, had them we did so make I, a few batches of dry table mead that we, we felt turned out really well. Yeah. But then as we started getting deeper into more generations of it, we started having more and more issues with um, right. THP during fermentation yep. that just would not go away. And, yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've had him talk me yeah, through okay. his process 50 times. And I have for four years tried to, Remimic the process and redo it, and every time I've ended up dumping it because of everything you're talking about, and you know it's it's just a but fool it, around thing. But I it also just fun, seems but, like there's a lot of like a Jesus I, I take like, the wheel. I like the way your head's at. Yeah, but but there's a lot of Jesus take the wheel with the kind of brewing Ron's talking about. You know what right. I mean? Like when when we're doing these completely wild things, you you do that, but I can't. I, so that's why I liked what Ron just said. Like, I can't figure out why I can't make it work because I know nothing about making mead. It's just the way Evan did it worked so well. And I know Evan did it the easiest possible way. That's that's Evan's method, right? He just does the right things. But I've just failed every fucking time. And I, I like that Ron's going to sort that out for me because I'm not going to sort it out. <laughs> I can't figure so out Ron, what I'm doing. Ron, wrong. take the wheel. <laughs> Ron, take the wheel. 
<laughs> I think part of the issue that we we had early on was that we we had kind of segregated a strain of our house culture specifically for making mead. So we were going we always we go batch to batch with our beer, um, and we're on about the 80th generation now, 80 somewhere in the 80s of um, of using our our house culture, just going batch to batch that way and saving it in, in a brink and feeding it in between. And we had branched off a separate culture for making mead and i in retrospect i think that was a mistake because um it was just that culture was getting less and less healthy with every generation living on this junk food diet and we we played around with doing a bunch of secondary fermentations with fruit but that actually seemed to um, exacerbate the the thp issue in, in a lot of instances because then we're taking yeast that wasn't really up to the job and giving it a bunch more and giving it more candy (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and giving it more candy and then introducing in the process of adding the fruit, probably introducing oxygen into the equation as well. Yeah. So, you know, we're learning from these things and, and trying mm-hmm. to move forward. I think adding fruit during primary as a source of nutrients or or spent fruit or even, you know, uh, potentially yep. dead yeast cells, things like that could could really help with the, the process as well. So we're, we're doing small scale experiments still, and I, I hope to, to really be able to bring our mead program back up to, to full scale eventually as well. But we want to make sure that what we're making meets our quality standards. Yeah. I will, I will tell you Evan's trick that I'm trying to reproduce is actually not pitching. He's just letting the yeast that's in the honey ferment itself. Um, when he warms it, he's keeping it, you know, way below pasteurization just to melt it all together and let it do its thing. And it's, it's a slow and forever process, but like I said, when he does it, it's one of the most beautiful beverages I've ever had. I That's have really yet to get it to work. I, I always assume that honey is uh, naturally inhibits fermentation. Um, and but so I, just I've tried some spontaneous mead experiments at home and not had great luck with them. I didn't think there was enough yeast present to be able to make that happen. I, I actually always kind of went the other way that I thought you had to overpitch mead. So, so he does 50 50 honey water, warms it up, you know to somewhere around 120 or whatever, stirs it for, you know, stirs it a lot over 24 hours and then just throws it in a barrel. And John, you've drank it. I have. And? I I, I adore it. I wish yeah. I could have more of it. Uh, anyway, fact, so I think that's... two years ago, I brought it to Thanksgiving at the at, at the family's and everybody so that, else was like, one what? bottle for me. Yeah, they were like, uh, what? what is this? And I was like, now, this is let's, for me. Let's get, honey water, that's, that's like, it's going to be super high gravity. That seems like. It's, that be- I don't think it, I think it ends up around, I think it ends up around four or five. Um, like I said, it, I don't think he's done it more than the one time. And I think no, John I think- Hall, me and Evan are the only guys that have ever drank it. And I think the last bottle in the world got drunk three weeks ago. But if I ever get it right, I will send you all the real data. Um, we can reach out to Evan too. Uh, he and Amber yeah. were actually on, on a CBC panel together. Uh, oh, cool! We'll reach so, out to him and talk. It's it's what I call dirty honey water, which I don't think makes him happy, but I think that's weird. I think that's weird that he doesn't thing. weird that he doesn't like you calling his. Well, John, it's your pride fault. And joy. At some point, at some point, I said when he was describing the process to me, I said, "So it's just dirty honey water." And I think John said, "Favorite stripper," and then it just stuck forever. That um, actually doesn't sound like anything I ever would have said. That's that's so. how I remember it. Um, Your anyway, Honor, we did do an experiment early on where we uh, we made some cherry wine, um, some naturally fermenting cherry wine, just using the yeast on the fruit, 
and then um, made uh, a, some must, uh, honey must that we just added to the spent cherries without any additional yeast. And we were really pleased with how that came out. So that's hey, something that I want to hey, Ron, play does, with a little bit more too. Does, does cherry wine get a bad rap on, uh, should, does it deserve more respect? Um, yeah, for sure. Any, if you haven't tried Frederickstahl from Denmark, definitely should. Um, kind of an epiphany type beverage. We tried it for the first time. Um, several, Amber and I tried it when we were um, in Denmark several years ago for beer festival that I'm not going to talk more about right now. Um, <laughs> but, um, we but, can all imagine what that one is. Yeah, um, so we were... Um, I, I mean, I, I, we can talk more about it if you want to, but oh, anyway, no, uh, but that, that may be a, a little bit too much of a tangent for the, <laughs> well, so, we're almost um, out of anyway, time. We're, I'm not we're at this festival. We were at a beer festival mm-hmm. and tasted this cherry wine and we're like, what the hell is cherry wine doing at a beer festival? And what is this stuff? And we were just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And, um, we really fell in love with it and it's, it's a fixture in, in our, tasting room right now we just got a fresh shipment of bottles and we've been out of them for the longest time so we're really excited to have it available again but we also serve it by the glass out of a demijohn it's just it's really amazing and inspirational stuff because they treat cherries the way that winemakers treat grapes they take them very seriously they let it ferment out to dryness they look for complexity in the fruit they look for acid they look for tannin they're not just taking dessert fruit and using it for flavoring they're really bringing out a lot of the character. And if you think about it, you know, you think about eating fruit, is a grape really that much more complex than a cherry or a plum or, you know, an apple or a peach or pear? I mean, a lot of fruit has complexity to it. And grapes have had this very privileged position in society um, of really being studied and bringing out all of the different flavor characteristics that are there and making something that's really wonderful and complex. I'm not saying anything negative about grape wine. I love grape wine, but I personally feel that there's no reason you can't get similar levels of complexity out of other fruits. And especially if you work with different fruits together, that there's a lot that you can bring out there. And I I do feel like, um, you know, the idea of a cherry wine or or a mixed fruit wine or or any, any like combined fermentation type product, it has been Kind of looked down on for a long time but there there are a lot of folks out there that are exploring that more and starting to change it now and we're, we're happy to be a part of that that's awesome um yeah. all right we should talk about beer too because we really we, sh- we should obviously we'll go on to yeah this is about beer isn't it it's supposed to be about beer. No, <laughs> no, well, no, no no it's it's definitely about wine you're <laughs> definitely right um, well, john tries to keep it from being about wine but it's clearly a wine show i'm um, the one i'm the one who prompted him on this last question so write it down kennedy um all right john what do you taste him all right so when we were talking about evan's beer and Ooh. we started calling it dirty honey water and dirty <laughs> is one of those words that can mean like it is obviously not clean or it, it whatever um there is a dirty quality to this beer in a really good way like it is old it is rustic like it is using hops that are you know for today's modern brewers well past their prime but for brewers who love aged hops uh hit a sweet spot this is like this is just like a like a 
I hope it's 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 an import because uh, if it's not, I want to know where in the U.S. I can drive to uh, and drink this. It makes me think of Terrace Bulba, but aged. And like if Terrace Bulba was like a, like a hundred year old, you know, if, if De La Sin had been around for 150 years now, this would be the type of beer that De La Sin was making. So now, it is. Can I ask you a question? Did we yeah. have Terrace Bulba recently on the We show? had it on with Mike Karnowski of okay. Zebulon. Okay, cool. Because I was sitting here for the first minute I tasted it, trying to remember what that was, thinking that it must be that again. It's it's not. Um, it's Terrace Bulba is a little bit lighter, a little bit. I mean, you know, Ron might be like, "Go to hell, you're wrong. This is Terrace Bulba." But th this to me tastes <laughs> like. Yeah, it's not it, but it has. But I like what you're describing because this has this like. It might be. Um, I I would actually go more like XX bitter, um, Duranta. Oh, or oh, something. Neat. I like that. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, so it's more bitter. It's and it's bigger. It's fuller body than than Paris Bulba. Yeah. Um, yeah, but in, in my brain, it's it's like a it's like a mushroom shaped palette profile, right? There's that first big kind of rounded top mushroom cap of all of those hops. Like they just come in big and strong, and like John said probably pretty old when they went into the kettle and just, you know, it's definitely a hop. Which one is it? Not even sure, but you know what I mean? And, and all that profile and big and proper and right there. Well, and if, then if it, it kind is of, that's better, I'll say the production method on that is, is exactly the opposite of what you described, that they're super particular about sourcing their hops fresh and using them yeah. really, really fresh. And then that kind of musty character comes through the fermentation. Yeah. And, and then it just kind of, yeah. and then it just kind of, it kind of set, settles down into this root of, oh, yeah, that's a properly structured stiff ale. You know what I mean? That's that's all I've really got from it. And there is there is a neat kind of. Like I said, grapefruity, hoppy, piney, generic hop profile to the whole thing. I don't know if I'm getting a lot of pine off of this. Um but again, you you nailed juniper on the last one. So, um, well, I said rosemary too. So okay, but yeah, well, wrong. I was but, I was only uh, half right. Uh, I I yeah, this is one of those. I I don't know. Like it, it it's it's really intriguing, and it is assertive, and it makes me think of back when I really first started to appreciate hops as a beer drinker. And that bracing Days bitterness, the IBU wars. Yeah, well, yeah, pre-IBU wars, but like in the, you know, during the IBU skirmishes before the full-on wars broke out, <laughs> the lead up to the war. Um, but 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 there's something <laughs> about the this rim. where, if you're finishing bottles of this, especially where, oh, you if know, you're finishing bottles of this, your team just wants some important level soccer. Sure. I mean, and you're ready to fight people afterwards. Um, oh, yeah. So this is I'm after ready to I fight light people. the fire I've only pits. had like half of this bottle. Yeah. After I light the fire pit in the backyard, I'm just going to go start taking on the neighbors. Um, just drink this and, and talk to the fire. <laughs> drink this and get real introspective um, with the fire. Here's another thing. I hate the fucking way oak burns. <laughs> What's funny what is about you, you Rob? Where are you this? Yeah. I, I do get some uh, some evergreen on the nose, but I also get like some candied fruit, like uh, yeah, I don't know, right? Sort of 
candied pineapple or something like that or or wait that sugary it, like it, that sugary like that dusted sugary kind of pineapple yeah it smells like it's going to be super sweet and if this beer actually were as sweet as it smells like it's going to be then it would be totally cloying and then i wouldn't particularly enjoy it personally but that it actually finishes a lot drier than it seems like it's going to is uh, makes it i think is what what makes it really work uh, what's interesting to me is that when we revisit a lot of beers like this, and I'm assuming that this is like from a, a probably Duranka or you know another Belgian brewery that's doing similar styles, um, or it could be a stronger LSN beer potentially as well. Um, but you know, from one of those types of Belgian brewers, in revisiting those beers now, um, in comparison with what what we do at Garden Path, it I'm always surprised that there's actually a lot more residual sugar in those beers than you normally, than, you know, I, I would have thought that there was going back historically, but they still have this kind of dry presentation to them, um, which is, is really fascinating to me. Oh, the one other thing I meant to mention is the, the rockiness of the foam, right? Like the first sip I had when I first poured it was super like like breaking bubbles with my tongue whatever's going on with the head retention here there's there's a very yeah. unique carbonation pattern to this beer yeah i, I poured half a glass and had, had to take an immediate sip to yeah to, to keep it in the glass yeah well I, was... I i opened it before i poured it and the the foam was peeking out through the top of the bottle uh before i actually went into it and the carbonation even still is incredibly yeah, it was, robust it was a robustly carbonated beverage all right, Kennedy, what are we drinking? This is from Dodola. This is Ara beer. So it is 8% alcohol. It's. Did you just say this is R? Ara beer, A R A B I E R. Okay. Um, yeah. Ara beer. So, um, yeah, it's dry hops with nugget hops from, uh, from Belgium. Uh, no shit. They yeah. grow nugget in Belgium? I guess so. Uh, I, we sell our beer in our in our shop, and I haven't had it in some time, and I I didn't remember it being this this hoppy. So it's really interesting to me. It really it's is. Bomb, but, but huh? Ron, that that candied pineapple really continues to come through. Like the more I'm drinking it now, like the sweeter I'm getting, and like on some of the residuals, like it's 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 showing up more and more. Yeah. So wait, you said you sell this in your shop. So you guys are also a beer retailer. You do everything, huh? Yeah, we are. We're, we're actually a beer, wine, cider, fermented, non-distilled fermented beverage retailer. So yeah, we have, um, we have a really extensive um, and pretty eclectic selection from all small independent producers. Um, we do ship within Washington and in a handful of state, other states where it's legal. We have a, a web shop that people can check out. Um, so at gardenpathwa.com um, visit our web shop there but uh, we uh, yeah we we really the way that we see it with the retail operation we knew that when we started it was going to take us some time to have things ready the way that we were making them that we weren't going to you know get licensed and then have beer ready in two weeks it's just not how we do things so we knew that it was going to be several months before we had anything of ours that we were ready to present and um, we wanted to set a context for it. We wanted to show what inspired us, what influenced us. And having a tasting room and bottle shop, and we, we have an on-premise tasting room too. And we have guest beers on draft. We have um, 
wine by the glass, all, all sorts of things like that as oh, well. Oh, that's great. Um, so we do you really have like want to seminars and lectures and all that too. Do you do, do you do uh, education? I wouldn't say lectures and seminars, but we do every on um, uh, once a month. We do a, a monthly beer school and wine school, which is just kind of a guided tasting where we pick out beer or wine that's within a certain theme and just kind of do do a guided flight where we talk about it and um, present things and then discuss it as a group. And that's something that's that we really enjoyed. But we see all of this as, as just kind of presenting a context for what we do. Um, mm. I think other people might view it as like, why, why are you promoting the competition? Why do you want to compete with your own products? But that's, it's just not how we see it. We see it as um, really that what we do is art and being able to help our customers cultivate an appreciation for that art to help understand the context for why it is what it is only uh, increases their appreciation for, for what we do. So if they taste um, beer from Dodola or Duranco or De La Fan or, or, you know, any of the other breweries that, that we find inspiring and influential, we hope that it'll, it'll uh, serve to increase their appreciation for what it is that we're trying to create. No doubt. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you can always, if, you, if you're making beers, so you, you going back to the very top of the show, you talked about kind of nurturing your house culture along to not go too truly crazy, funky, whatever. Um, and to stay, you know, mostly sack and clean, but you know, it's, it's, the context for what's possible in that world can't ever be done in one house, right? Like you, you're going to end up making the beers you make and they're going to have a, a kind of through line of place to them. Right. So why not round out those place experiences for what's possible from the whole thing? Right. Yeah. Well, if I understand your question correctly, I think that that was actually one of the I don't know if I understand the question. So get on. I'm I'm not sure. You you never never understand terroir. John, you Uh, never understand terroir. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, talking about terroir, this is one of the things that drew us to Skagit Valley. We came to Washington. Neither Amber nor I had prior connections here. We didn't have any reason to live in northwest Washington other than we thought that it was the best place in the world to do what we wanted to do. And the reason that we thought that was both because we wanted to be closer to our ingredients. And this is one of the few places in the world where we felt like we could just source so many different things, really everything that we needed from just the immediate vicinity, but also because of the climate here that it's, we normally have relatively mild winters and at least until this year, cool summers, um, where it rarely gets much above 80 degrees. And we felt like in that type of environment, where we don't have that heat that you see even in what are otherwise cooler climates, um, that that would help us to naturally select for Saccharomyces, that Saccharomyces would thrive in the temperature range that we have here, where it's almost always cellar temperature. It's almost always between about 40 and 70 degrees Fahrenheit um, that, you know, Saccharomyces does really well in that range. Whereas Brett, um, uh, lacto, PDO, acetobacter, other types of organisms tend to prefer more heat. So when it's below 80 degrees almost all the time, those organisms just don't thrive to the same extent. And that allows us to to have a more Saccharomyces dominant culture, uh, whereas, you know, in other places, 
as soon as those temperatures start getting up into the 80 plus degree range, you're going to have all of these other organisms that are really wanting to go crazy and take over the process. And we just don't have to deal with that to the same extent. That is so awesome, man. This is such a great story. Thank you so much. Um, I'm sorry to say we've run out of time. I'm, I'm guess we'll have to have you back on cause this, this needs to go on much further than this, but, um, thank you so much for joining us. Seriously. Um, Kennedy, did you get this one or is Cass going to steal credit as well? Uh, no, I did this one. Cass oh, good job. Good job. I don't, I don't think Ron can. Screw you, Cass. Screw you, Cass. Ron has no idea who I am. <laughs> Ron, sorry, you're a lucky, sorry, lucky man. You? You're a lucky, lucky man. He's a celebrity in Wisconsin. I don't know if you're uh, paying sure. attention. He's a Wisconsin celebrity. Kennedy. Um, all right. I, I lived in Wisconsin for two years. Amber and I lived in Madison for, for uh, two years. So. Oh, nice. Nice. Uh, Kennedy, my man, do you have a letter? I don't have another letter, guys. Sorry. Uh, Kennedy, you were, you were literally batting 330. Um, <laughs> all right. So, Cass, I guess you're up, buddy. First, let's do Ron's contact yeah. stuff. Ron? Yeah, Ron, where can I find you? Uh, well, you can uh, find us in Skagit Valley, Washington. Burlington is actually the, the town. Um, or you can find us on, on the internet or at GardenPathWA. Dot com or uh, we're also at Garden Path WA on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and um, the best place to, to look for us. And we have an online shop, as I mentioned, that will ship uh, wherever it's legal to do so. Well, That's awesome. awesome. I like that. I like that anybody who's in one of those places can try the beer we just drank from you right away. Like that's that's a nice through line. I doubt Kennedy figured that out and planned it, but that'll oh, be good. Oh, stop. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> All that right. Time of year uh, to be kind and now, do, now you do your job, Mr. Uh, Mr. Cass. Uh, well, Ron, nice. again, thank you. Thank you for coming on, Ron. Huh? Your place thank you guys so much for, and, for having and we me. Will, and awesome. we will most, most certainly come hopefully pay a field trip. But uh, yeah. Oh, please right do. Up. Write us letters, steal this beer podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on all the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, the gram, untapped at steal this beer. And don't forget to Patreon us. Thanks to those that do. That's patreon.com slash steal this beer. Those dollars go a long way. And uh, it gets uh, gets Ron beers that he already has in his store, apparently. So, <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> thanks everybody <laughs> <laughs> all right y'all i really appreciate it ron thanks for spending some time with us it was very cool i'm super excited to find my way out to washington and taste your stuff man um hey. all right y'all get at us 